We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Good morning, everyone. Let the fireworks begin. We've been doing word study the last few weeks and talking about how uh, we can look at the original meaning of words and finding, I was looking yesterday and, and found some more, just like, I'm not, we're going to talk about them today, we're going to move to the next series, but I was looking at some different words that were in Hebrew in the Old Testament, and so, I, you know, I, I just began to look at the Hebrew, and uh, <clears throat> a lot of our translation had, was actually opposite of the original, not just not like the original translation or not just kind of off from it, but the words that we use were opposite of the translation of the original Hebrew. So part of this is, is learning, uh, I guess, learning how, how to study, how to study. You know, part of, part of how to study is hermeneutics, you know, the who, what, when, where, and why. You know, one of the basic principles of understanding Scripture is to know who's being talked to, what's being talked about, why it's being talked about, who, what, when, where, and why. You know, all, all those things are very important so that we understand context. I'm going to keep saying that over and over because a lot of the issues of uh, Christianity today just stem from things out, out of context, taking out of context. And that's, again, why we have different denominations, different belief systems. It's just that uh, Scripture is taken out of context. There's no particular movement that has not done that. There's no particular movement that has not done that. All movements do that because we're human beings. And so, you know, there's a frailty in us sometimes because we all, we were talking earlier today, every human being has an agenda. Whether you like it or not, you have an agenda. Something, you know, you have a directional uh, thing in your life, and that's the direction you go in. And that agenda is affected by a lot of different things. And so that's why we're doing this word study and this phrase study and these chapters. That's why we're going to talk about this stuff. Because sometimes our agenda needs to be readjusted. It needs to be readjusted. You know what? It's okay to find out you're wrong. That, mean, that doesn't mean you're going to hell because you were wrong about something in Scripture. Unless you were wrong about being born again. I mean, that's, you know. It's nothing wrong with looking and seeing, hey, you know what? This could mean something different. Or this is what I've heard all my life. Maybe there's another twist to it. Or maybe the twist that I have isn't really what it is really saying. So let, let's move forward. We're going to talk about scriptural phrases that are uh, mis, misinterpreted uh, or misused. And uh, So today let's look at uh, phrases or parts of Scripture that are often misused because they're just out of context. Uh, turn with me to Jeremiah 29 and 11. Jeremiah 29. This is a, something we've heard preached, you know, a lot. We've heard taught a lot. Uh, very familiar scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the thoughts that I, I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. First, the Hebrew word for thoughts means meaning, intention, or plot. So when God says, I know the thoughts, God says, I know the meaning, I know the intention, I know the plan, I know the plot for your life. The second is the Hebrew word for expects. It means have expectancy. So, you know, if you look back again and read that scripture, and for I know the plans, I know the intention, I know the plot uh, that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expectancy. God, ex God wants us to have an expectancy, an expectancy about his plan, plot, and all of those things for our life. Uh, 
you know, many times I've talked to people and they well, I don't know the purpose and I don't know really what's, and that's what it's talking about. That, this very thing, the thoughts, that is the purpose in which you're here. God knows the intended purpose for which you are here today, for which you're in this earth today, for what your life is about. He knows that. And he wants you to have an expectancy. Okay, that's, that's really in isolation, out of context, this verse proclaims that God has good plans for you, including everything, riches, peace, prosperity. There, there, there's a, a group, a movement that bases a lot of their movement on this very scripture. But they add the peace, the prosperity, the riches, and all that stuff because I know the plan. I want to do this, and I want to do that, and there's an addition to it, and they take it out of context. I'll do my best to not mention that movement because it's a very large movement in America. It's a very large movement around the world. Uh, so while God does have good plans for you, understand that. While he does have good plans for you, those plans are not to be evaluated by earthly measure. And therein is where the misinterpretation or the taking out of context. And no place here is God trying to tell you, I'm going to do these things to give you the best earthly life you can possibly have. Once one of the problems that the early Jews had in Jesus' day, because their, their teaching was that if you were prosperous, if you were rich, if you had lots of this and lots of cattle and all this, you were in favor with God. If you were sick, if you were uh, poor, all these things, you were not in favor with God. And Jesus debunked that. Jesus came and said, listen, here's, and he gave parables that, that aggravated the Pharisees quite a bit because quite honestly, the Pharisees, isn't that interesting? The ones that preach it are usually the ones that get it. Nobody else does. I don't mean to get understand it. The ones that preach a prosperity are usually the ones, it's the preacher that prospers. You ever notice that? That's not, that's not a new thing. It's been going on for centuries. And so that's where the Pharisees were at. And Jesus said, well, listen, I got a story to tell you that debunks that. And, of course, that aggravated them. But our, our lives, will God prosper us here? Yes. Will he, does, is, are there such things as rich Christians? Yes. You can be a Christian and be rich. You can do that. But it's harder for someone that's rich to get into the kingdom because they got a lot on their load. That's the story of the, the Jesus said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's what that story's about than a rich man making it. He wasn't saying the rich man can't make it. What he's saying is when the rich man gets up to the little gate uh, outside the large gate in Jerusalem, the eye of the needle, the little gate, it's only six feet tall. It's only three feet wide. He has to unload his camel. And, and then he has to shove all that stuff through the gate. And then he has to get his camel down on the camel's knees and make the camel scoot. And somebody on the other side has got to pull. And it's not that he can't get his goods and camels into the gate. It's that it's very hard for him to. And so understanding that's what that parable is about. And Jesus used these parables and talked to these things to help us to understand that, you know, listen, it's not God doesn't. He wants to bless us earthly. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that, that is not how you evaluate God's prosperity by earthly means in any way. God can prosper you and you be the poorest man on earth. God can make you rich and you're the poorest man on earth when it comes to earthly things. Be, be the richest person when it comes to heavenly things. So Jeremiah 29, actually, when you read the entire chapter, it's addressing the Hebrews' exile to Babylon. And verse 11 was a promise that God gave his people while they were being tested. They were in a time of testing, and God said, here's a promise I'm going to give you. Now, according to the Greek and Hebrew words, it says, I know the thoughts or the plans. Uh, that defines yada and hashav as, as the Lord making a new plan for his people. 
In other words, I know you're going through something, you're being tested, but I've got a new plan for you. That's what this verse is really talking about. And I've got something ahead of you, a promise that you've not seen yet. But you can take that scripture out of context and say that God's intent is to thoroughly bless me in all manners of money, all manners of this and all manners of that. You know, one of the things people thought in Jesus' day that is if you were sick, you were on the outs with God. If you were sick, you want to, man, what if that is the case? <laughs> Correct. Or, or riches, or goods, but because that's what, that's calling taking Scripture out of context. In other words, taking a Scripture and out of context is it's out of context of its meaning in the given. But the worst part of taking Scripture out of context is the addition that people put onto the Scripture. That's the worst thing because you don't add to or take away from God's Word. But it's the addition or what they want, they want, they want it to say. See, that's what taking Scripture out of context really is. It's, it's, you know, we were taught where I came from that you use Scripture to prove what you believe. That's Scripture out of context. You don't take Scripture to prove what you believe. Scripture proves what it says, and you believe it. But again, uh, taking it out of the context in which is it, and, and you're right, Darren, the, the whole context is that that was a promise that had nothing to do with personal riches, and it was the context of them being delivered out of Babylon and becoming the nation they should be, all of those things. Yeah, that's worse. Yeah, because when you start adding to God's Word, and again, you know, I, I want to be careful because that, that's how we've gotten where we are in Christianity today with all the denominations and the movements is that you know, the, the intent of the person delivering a particular message takes it out of its context. You can take Scripture, and you, this very Scripture, you can break it down like an onion. You can peel it like an onion, but it has to go back to its first original meaning. You've heard Bishop talk about the law of first things. Whatever it meant first, regardless of what you use it in, the context has to come back to what the original verse means. Otherwise, you're now out of context. Taking little snippets of other scriptures that they're adding. Mm -hmm. So that's why they don't see that they're adding to the Word of God because they're taking other pieces of the Word of God Right, and that, that justifies it in their mind. If I take this part of the Scripture and this, it's all Scripture, but if I take and put it together, it's all Scripture. Therefore, it becomes, uh, it's God's Word, so it's true. But again, I've used it a thousand times. I've used it a thousand and one. Judas, when he recognized what he had done, went out and hung himself. Now, you go to another Scripture. Where in, in the Scripture, as Jesus is talking, he said, Go ye therefore and do likewise. So if I pull these together, they're both Word of God. If I pull these together, you know, when you recognize what you've done, go hang yourself. Go ye therefore and do likewise. We don't do that. It's out of context. In Scripture, there's only one interpretation, but there's many applications. Mm -hmm. And it's in the applications where we err. Yeah. It's just like in this chapter 29 of Jeremiah. God's talking to Israel in captivity. Yeah. I know the thoughts I have for you as a nation. Yeah. He's not talking about individuals. Now, it can be applied, but you have to be very careful of the application that you make. And his 
even in the interpretation, it's a spiritual. Right. A spiritual prognosis, not a material prognosis. Correct. And we know that the, the, the Scripture teaches us that the Old Testament church is called Israel. Scripture teaches us that. We're the New Testament church. And so this application is to the church. Now, again, it's like Bishop said, it, be careful when there's individual application because actually there's no private interpretation uh, of prophecy. There's no private interpretation of Scripture in our lives. That it, it, it has to be applicable to the church as the body. So, so be careful. You know, well, I can get off on another whole thing about prophecy and all this stuff. I'm not going to do it because there's, there's a lot of that business of, prophesying over people and this and that that has no, it's not script I went into it anyway didn't I it's not scriptural because it's not based on the foundation of the premise of the scripture itself so God knows he has plans for you God has plans for peace and salvation that's what he told them listen you guys are locked up in Babylon now but I've got plans for you I got a new way of your your man something this great thing is coming it was a promise they that very day they didn't leave in and in, in leave Babylon did they that very day this is spoken. They didn't leave that day. This happened in the future. So, yeah, they got worse, <laughs> which is usually the case. <laughs> it usually gets worse before it gets better, right? That's usually the thing that happens. So, verse 11 is not this selfish declaration that God's going to fulfill all I desire, all that I want rich in earth, uh, but it's the priority of life that he's taken the church through. It's the priority of life that he's taken the church through. Uh, let's move to another one, Philippians 4 and 13. So, again, these are just places where people take snippets or take, you know, you hear them quoted, uh, but they're either misquoted, quoted halfway, or quoted with another scripture that's not relevant to the scripture itself. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, there's many ways that you could interpret that if you wanted to. If you take it out of its context from where it's at, you know, I've heard this verse quoted. I'll just use one of them. I've heard this verse quoted is that I have the right to do anything I want because the Lord's there and he will take care of it. He'll cover me. I'm a Christian. So if I do this, it's okay because he's going to cover me as a Christian. I've heard people say that. You know, we throw it out at you. It's okay. I'm going to go. Today's July 4th. I'm going to go, go this afternoon and get sloppy drunk. I'm going to be a drunkard. It's okay. The Lord's with me. And he's going to cover that with me because of his blood. And they use that scripture. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But there's, a, there's a, a mirage of different interpretations. People will misuse that because they take it out of the context that it's in in Philippians. Uh, in this context, Paul is he's making an appeal or an encouragement or a prayer to those in Philippi that in his own experiences... Even though he's been through many trials, the Lord's always sustained him. That's really what it's about. It doesn't mean we have the right to go do what we want to do. You know, one of the reasons that my former group didn't like the word grace is they said, well, because the group you came from believes that grace is the license to do whatever you want, Jesus covers it. When I found out they were using this scripture for the same principle, because they're the ones that made the statements. <laughs> it wasn't my former, former group which we were a bunch of drunkards. I'll just be honest with you. Not all of us, but we were because we thought, you know, hey, once I'm saved, I'm always saved, and I can get drunk as a skunk every day of my life. Yeah, I mean, y'all are looking at me like. Paul knew 
how, how, how to live. He knew how to live. He knew how to live having much. He knew how to live having nothing. When you read the Scripture, you understand what he's saying here. It doesn't matter what I have. It doesn't matter what I go through. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. Everything that happens in my life, it happens through Jesus Christ, and he strengthens me. In other words, Paul even understood that everything that goes down, when I go to prison, it's through Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. He'd have never written most of the New Testament had he not been in prison, as we know it. Now, he may have gone off into a mountain somewhere and written it, but we understand that it was while he was in prison in one of the darkest hours of his life personally that he took it as the greatest part of his life spiritually, and he began to address the church. And it, aren't we glad he did? Because he understood, hey, there's nothing greater than this, and all this stuff that nothing here really means anything. Can we get that attitude? Can, can we? It's hard for Americans. It's easier for people in third world countries. None of this means anything. Well, in third world countries, in fourth world countries, they don't have anything to mean anything, right? There's not a lot that keeps them. We have a lot. You're in the top 5% in the world in riches. I don't care where you live in America. Top 5% of the richest people in the world. Stop for a second. You're in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. And the problem with that is... If you take away the riches, can I still do all things through Christ with strength? If it changes, see, that's, that's the big deal. And Paul said, listen, I've been on top of the world. I've sat I've sit with the greatest minds of the day. I've sat with the Sanhedrin. I've, been, I've, I've walked with God and killed many Christians. But, man, I finally found the way. And now I'm walking with God, and they're trying to kill me. But he said, none of that. Because in every bit of it, I get strengthened by Jesus Christ in every bit of it. Anybody thought? Say that again. It's simply as a Christian, as a child of God, having been born into the kingdom, Whenever this junk comes our way, we don't look at it in fear. We look at it and saying, I'm scared if I don't have him, but I can do this because he's with me. Because mm-hmm. he said, I am with you all the way even to the end of the age. Right. So do we worry? Do we fret? Yeah. Sometimes. And then sometimes we just turn it over to Jesus because we already know that he's overcome, and he wanted us to be overcomers, not victims, not just survivors, but to be overcomers. Overcomers. And that's it for now. I think, you know, Paul was just like you and I. Paul had fears and doubts. He had those things. Here's what Paul recognized, though. None of this stuff is obstacles for me. They're not obstacles. They're opportunities. That's the difference in the attitude. You look at something in your life as an obstacle, or you look at it as an opportunity. And everything that he saw, even prison, it was an opportunity. Yeah, and that's and it's all a difference of how you see Jesus Christ. If Jesus is in your life, everything is an opportunity. Think about this. 
if the God of the universe is in your life, everything's an opportunity. Just think about it a second. Nothing is beyond God. Man, that, you know, that should turn us loose as Christians. One of the greatest attributes of Christianity is learning how to have equanimity whether you're abounding or whether you're abased. Yeah. That's Christianity. Yeah. He said, I've been instructed both to be full and empty. How many of us have been instructed know how to be full and be empty? Jesus spent a lot of time with Paul, didn't he? Because Paul for 13 years was out in the desert hearing from Jesus. Nobody else wanted to tell him anything. So he got some very good instruction. And so part of that instruction that he relayed to us is what Bishop said. They're waiting on you, not me. (laughs) Was this. Sometimes Christians, I'm not going to say how strong of a Christians, but sometimes we as Christians, we want God to do everything for us. And he wants us to do what we can, and he will do what we cannot. Yeah. He will do what we cannot if we will trust him. But sometimes we get the cart before the horse and we say, Lord, I don't think I can do this when we're well able to do some stuff. You know, we're able to go to jail. We're able to go to prison. We're able to have our head cut off. But he wants us to do the possible because he's the God of the impossible. Right. And what's supernatural to us is normal for him. Good stuff. Listen, it's, I'm sorry. It's, yeah. Yeah, again, English is washed out, isn't it? If I'm going to do this or I'm going to prevail over it, which one sounds? And that's what he's saying. You're going to prevail. Good stuff. Yeah, that blue letter sure makes a difference, doesn't it? Because it, it, and it goes deeper than we can sometimes imagine. So it's not a prayer to win uh, any, an event of any kind. Yeah, I can do all things through Christ. I saw a deal at a boxing match where a guy's praying for his boxer, and he says, you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. You can win this match. It's not, Paul's not praying that kind of a deal here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, that guy got knocked out. So, <laughs> Huh? So if, if who's God's for, if, if one player on one team is wearing that scripture, and the other team's wearing that scripture. Which one's going to win? Who's yeah. God going to pull for? The one that prayed the most? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stonewall Jackson prayed out probably 20 times a day. Yeah. Still lost. Yeah. 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 So, so we have to understand. You know what? That's pl- of understanding how being instructed to be empty. And still, you know, did he quit praying because he lost the Civil War? Nope. Well, right. Correct. He didn't give up because he was, yeah. And that's the thing about, that's the thing about Christianity we have to understand. That, you you ever met that person that's on the level plane, neither high nor low, keeps that level plane? 
And that, that's that person, you know what, I, I'm going to live for God. Highs or lows, doesn't matter. I'm going to live for God because th- this really is, it, it's my trying time and it's my training time, but it's not my end time. Actually, the game's not even started yet. The game starts when I'm called home. And if we'll understand that, that that's what we're doing. The game hadn't really started yet. This is, this is just a trying and a preparation for the game that's coming up. And I hate to use that type of a scenario, but I guess because we're Americans, we understand it the most. But listen, it's a state of faith. And who Paul's basically says, listen, I'm giving you a state of faith here. No matter what happens in my life, he provides. Statement of faith. And that's what that chapter's about. Matthew 7 and 1. Here's a big one. Boy, it's used all over the place. Matthew 7 and 1. Some of you can quote it. Judge not that ye be not judged. Judge not that ye be not judged. When people disagree with you today, they often say, quit judging me. You heard that one? You're not the judge of me. Quit judging me when you have a disagreement of what they believe is what. I can do what I want. It's not for you to judge if you heard that one. I can do what I want. That's not for you to judge. And what they try to place on you is the idealism that it's not your right to judge. Because judge not that you be not judged. <clears throat> Have you read all of Matthew 6 and Matthew 7? Because in context, it's a little different than out of context. Verse 1 is actually a summary statement. And it's not a, in the original context or in the original transcripts, it's not really verse 1. There was no verse or chapter. But in the middle of this this teaching that Jesus has given, uh, it's a summary statement telling people to refrain from judging, judging others with grave error and cause. You don't judge others with the idea of condemning. Jesus said refrain from doing that because it's not the point. You don't judge within others. Listen, it is important for us to understand what judge means, number one, because if let's say, for instance, I bring somebody into the church as assistant pastor, and we know that that assistant pastor, uh, all of a sudden we find out that he, you know, he's a heavy drinker, he's been on drugs for several years and never gotten off of them, all of these things. It's within my authority and within my right as a Christian to judge not his guilt, but to judge his situation that I can help redeem him or bring him closer it's not my place to put him down and bring him before the church it's my place to redeem him and we have, that's why we have to understand what a lot of times in the word judge in america means render render a ju, ju, it's render a decision but it, but but to americans it's to, to, becky said it but to americans it's condemnation that's what judge means in america but the word means render a decision you know, they don't, when, you ever been in court? <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, when, you, when you're standing there and the, they say, okay, we find the defendant guilty, the judge, most of the time, in most cases, doesn't pronounce sentence right then. The sentence comes later. The judgment in there is not the sentence. It's just the render of the decision made by the court. Then comes the sentence. And there, you know, so, so we have to understand what judgment really is. So, uh Insights from the Sermon on the Mount deal with a call to righteousness. 
Jesus was calling the people of God to righteousness because their intellectuals, the Pharisees, were using their own intellectualism to actually render decisions rather than true judgment. In other words, they were using condemnation as a point of judgment rather than understanding there's a righteous issue here. There's a righteous issue here. And when we get, it's kind of like, let me back up to that. When we come to God with sin, God is God abhors sin. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. He hates sin. But God wants to get to the why in your life, the righteous part of it, not the condemnation part. Because if he can deal with the why and get you into the why and understand why you did the sin and get you to overcome the why, the sin does what? It moves on. And it's the same thing that judgment is about, Jesus is talking about. We don't really want to be in the condemnation uh, realm. We want to be in the why, the righteous realm. So, therefore, there's a redemption. He was always about redemption. Everything Jesus was about was about redemption. The Pharisees were so preoccupied with the law that they didn't understand the law was standing right in front of them that day. Jesus, the fulfillment of the law, they were so preoccupied with the law that they didn't see the Redeemer. And a lot of times when we talk about judging others, we're so preoccupied with the condemnation that we don't see the redemptive opportunity. So Jesus wanted to get to the heart of a person. That was his whole. He wanted people to see that making oneself more righteous than others. This is another part of when you read in there. He you know, gets on the Pharisees about, boy, y'all really righteous, aren't you? You're more righteous than anybody here. And they're all beating their chest. Yes, we are. Well, you're just a bunch of snakes. I mean, it's a disgrace to grace to make yourself more righteous than another person. It is a disgrace to grace, God's grace, because God's grace is in every one of our lives, lost, saved, or in between. It's in every life, and it's a disgrace to make yourself more righteous than another person. Only righteousness you have is through Jesus Christ. Nothing good in you. Only one good, and that's God. So understand that about yourself and understand that the righteousness that lives inside of you is the good thing that's in you, and you should never use your own righteousness it's a disgrace to grace to say, I'm better. You know, you know, y'all know the prayer. Lord, thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. Man, he's a sinner. Thank you, Lord, that I'm the righteous. And the sinner's over there. Lord, just help me. I need help. Jesus said, which one got forgiven? You know what? One of them didn't get forgiven. And one of them did. Which one was it? It was the one that didn't present himself as the righteous. That said, God, I just know where I'm at. There's nothing good in me. The context of this scripture is Jesus tells us that if we judge, the word judge here is krino, K-R-I-N-O. It means to distinguish or decide what we just said, to render a decision. You can go through further in judgment and find that it will mean to condemn, try, and punish. But it's another part. When you find that word in another part of scripture, it has to do with another context. So understand the context we're in. The context is that, you know, it's a distinguishing, a, a, a rendering a decision. Others, without first taking a close, because Jesus said, listen, don't, don't ever look at a person and render a decision about their life until you look into your life and render one about your own. You know, be, be ready to pull the beam out of your eye before you start pulling splinters out of somebody else's eye, he said. Look at, before you ever render a judgment about someone's life, look into your own. Do you pass by sometimes you think, man, why does that guy laying out there drunk on the side of the road or, you know, doing drugs or whatever? You ever do that? 
Nobody wants to admit to stuff like that. I guess no. I shouldn't be asking those questions. Don't shake your head yes or no. But you ever sometimes look at people thinking, man, I'm glad I'm not that person. I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm not doing what that person's doing. We've all done it. If we say we haven't, we're lying. And we know the devil's the father of all lies. Let me just take some scripture out of context here. So if, if you're a liar and the devil's the father of all lies, you're the devil. See, that's, we, see, there's scripture out of context, right? But understand this. We've all done those things when we have to look at our own life. No, I'm not the drug addict, the drunk underneath there. I'm, I'm worse. I'm the person that's judging them. Which one got forgiven? The person judging. That's why I said, he said, understand something. Judge yourself before you judge any other person. It's not wrong to judge a person. And that, is again, is understanding the situation they're in. It's not making a condemnation call on their life. It, judging something is understanding where they're coming from. You know, sometimes there are people that come from a really rough life. Their parents were drunks. Their parents' parents were drunks. And so guess what they are? They're drunks. They come from something that's been generationalized in their life. Understand where they're coming from before you make a judgment. Man, why are you drunk, dude? Why don't you just get rid of that alcohol? You understand that mom and dad drank around me, and I was six. I was drinking. You understand that when I went over to grandma's and grandpa's, while y'all were having birthday cake, we were having birthday rum. It's sad, but there are people whose lives, they live that way. It's that, that happens in their life. It's the generational thing. So we have to understand that, you know, just let's look at ourselves. Let's look before we ever, you know. Pastor Don needs more help than any of y'all. I can tell you that. Judge not is not a license for a free-for-all because that's the other side of it. Don't judge me. Don't say this and don't judge me. That It's not a free-for-all. I can do whatever I want to do. But it's a grace that we walk in. Scripture teaches us the church is to judge in order to be helpful in teaching. It's our responsibility to judge not just within ourselves, because judgment begins at the house of God, and that's a different, but understand that we judge within ourselves. There's no way that I as a pastor can teach this church without judging you. I'm not condemning you at all, but I'm understanding where you're coming from. And therefore, I can render a decision as to what needs to be taught or preached. Does that make sense? That's what judging, that we, we are responsible to do that. When you're in someone's life and... and Listen, a person that's been in church all their life, but they've never really understood Scripture, you're going to teach them a little different than the person that's never been in church all their life and lived on the street because they're going to have very little knowledge on the street about the, the Word, whereas a person that grew up in a church setting like myself heard the Word in and out for years and years and years. So i got to judge who I'm talking to, not condemn them, but understand the situation. And that's what judgment's about. So Matthew 7 is, 7 is not only that, but it's a warning against self-righteousness and hypocrisy. That we, When we don't judge ourselves within ourselves first and the righteousness of ourselves comes out, he warns us, don't do that because you, you, you're going to find out that there's going to be an impurity that comes out of your life. Ephesians 5.22. I want to move through because there's, yes. Correct. You can't tell somebody, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Correct. Correct. As a matter of fact, as a Christian, it's not that we, and listen, here's, here's two ways to do it. Jason, man, what you're going through right now and drinking, man, you know, God's not pleased with that. And God says it's counterproductive to your life. Or, man, you're a drunk and you need to get right with God. Which one is? There's a judgment in both of them. But which one is right? 
which one is wrong, the second one. And so you're correct. We, we have to judge within those things. We don't let sin just be sin because we're not supposed to judge it. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about this, and it's another, it's another lesson maybe we'll talk about, about what we should do in those situations. Because we're not even supposed to fellowship with people who are sinners. What's the key word here in context? Fellowship. It doesn't mean we don't contact, and it doesn't mean we don't have dinner. What is fellowship? Breaking bread and agreement. What is fellowship? Fellowship is the same word as conversation and what it does. It's the lifestyle. You don't live the lifestyle of a sinner. But in order to win him, you've got to get among them. So let me keep going here. Ephesians 5 and 22. I may or may not get to another. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Come on back. Yeah. Yeah. Men want me to read that again. Women want me to shut up. Man, what a verse that's been misused in so many ways because it's taken out of context. Absolutely. It's simply there's a, it's, it's, the Greek word for submit here means to be subordinate, to obey, to be subjected. Well, this sounds like it's getting worse. God's original intent in the beginning was an order of relationship. Amen. Order of relationship. And that's what this chapter is talking about and understanding the order of relationship, not who has power over who. Now, let me say something, men. Because Adam was put in the first order of relationship with God. When Adam and Eve, when Eve was deceived and Adam was sinned, the Bible says that by Adam, not Eve, sin came into the world. That's the order of relationship. Understand that as the man, it's your responsibility in, that, in, in your home, in your household, that's your responsibility. Understand, Amen. without me going too long, do we understand? Are we pretty good on that one? Amen. Okay. It is our responsibility as men to understand the order of relationship. If we don't understand it, you know why so many wives work in the church? Say that loud, because the men don't. That's why so many wives and women work in the church. Now, they do it because they love God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. And they see that it needs to be done. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But by and large, a lot of things that go on in the church are supposed to be things that men take the charge of and take the authority of. And authority doesn't mean power over you, but understanding the process of relationship that if we did what we were supposed to do, a lot of our problems would be cleaned up without ever saying a word just by doing what we're supposed to do. Let's keep going here, though. Men were to be in leadership as the person responsible to answer to God. Again, I'll go past the Adam and Eve thing. The responsibility of what happens fell on Adam. What were you doing letting your wife slip off out there around that tree and talking to that snake? What were you doing, Adam? I was busy doing the work of the Lord. Move on. <laughs> Ephesians 5 is a call for us to walk in love. That's what Ephesians 5 is. It's, I missed it. Well, say it again. Oh. <laughs> All right, it's time to shut this down. Ephesians 5 is a call to walk, for us to walk in love. As Jesus gave himself for the church, so should husbands give themselves for their wife. Amen. 
Paul said, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the of the wife. You understand, this is not a power thing here. This is a call to love. You got to say it now. I'm sorry. No, you got to say it because I say it and I get chastised. <laughs> Before you say I do, woman, you need to know you choose who you submit to. Yes. You're making that choice. Yeah. You nobody forced you to get him up there and say I do. You chose him. You chose him. So you need to live with it. Ah, uh, nobody. <laughs> It's not a do as I say, husband to wife. Do as I say. It is a mutual love and respect between the two, just as there's a mutual and love and respect between Jesus and his bride. It's a mutual love and respect between Jesus and his bride, and so it is with a man and a wife. It's a, the reason that the wife should cling close to the man is to understand he's the one responsible, and God's going to hold him responsible. And so if you're, you know, I'm going to say this, I'm going to move on before anybody gets in a fight with me. So if you're, if you're trying to run the home, lady, if you're trying to run the, the whole situation, lady, you better get out of the way really quick. You're out of the will of God. And husband, if you're letting her do that, you better get right, husband. You're out of the will of God. Understand what we're supposed to be doing. The problem in our country and the problem in this world is men don't even get what they're supposed to be doing scripturally. Where the responsibility is. And here's the thing. If you love your children, you will hold a responsible life over them, right? You will teach them right and wrong if you love your children. You'll teach them the good and bad if you love your children. You'll teach them where to go and where not. You'll do all these things because you love them. It's not because you have power over them. You love them. That's why you're teaching this because at 18, you no longer have the power over them. But if you, te- if you teach it out of power, guess what they're going to do? You're going to slip on off and do what they want to do. If you teach them out of love, they may still slip on off, but they remember the love, the power they'll forget because you no longer wield that. But the love they'll always remember because you always will wield that. So understand that about this. This chapter is about a mutual submission of love. It's a, it's a submission of love that I have for Jesus Christ, and it will be a submission of love that my wife has for me. And in that submission of love, we do it together. We're, we are together one flesh. We're not husband battling wife, wife battling husbands. That's one of the hardest things to watch is when husband and wife battle each other because one of the hardest things to watch is a person battle within themselves, and that's what you're doing. You're battling within yourself when you're doing this. The motive for proper and godly submission is not the law, but demonstrating a relationship with Jesus to the world because we respect what the law says. We're talking about the law of Christ. It's, it's, it's the demonstration in your life about what the law of Christ says is greater than the law itself. The law itself stands alone. It's true and it's pure, but if it's not enacted and not worked in, it's the law. And there's, I'm not saying it's diminished in any way, but the, the, the law of Christ in love is intended to have an enactment between us. And that's why, you know, husbands submitting your wives is not about being a doormat. It's not about being... But it's understanding that there's a submission of love here. On the reverse side of that, I've never known a woman who had a problem submitting to her husband if he loved her as Christ loved the church. The problem in submission is often the husband doesn't 
shelter and umbrella her with the love that he should. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lack there. Right. There's a lack. Uh, you know, aren't you glad that God's not slack concerning his promises? He loves us and he will always, he's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. And that's the way we should be with one another. And that, that is correct. That's, that's another, that's, man, we have more issues than we want to, we want to. Okay, I've got a one minute. There's two ways I can go here because I have one more scripture that's not up here. But last week I told you we were going to talk about a couple of different phrases or sayings that we find in Christendom. So I'm going to, I, I got one minute. So, yeah. so I'm going to bring one up. Instead of going to Psalm, I'm going to bring one up. And we'll just talk about it quickly, and then we'll talk about it because I want you to research it this week. How many of us grew up with this phrase in our church? Whether a teacher said it, pastor said it, mom and dad said it, plead the blood of Jesus over whatever. My kids, my job. How many of us heard that before? You heard that? Okay. Okay. Somebody look that up for me really quick. Thank you. No, don't waste your time. You get, understand, understand, again, there's context involved here, y'all. There's context because there is no plead the blood in the Scripture. But there's context from where this came from. This particular saying came from a group in the early 1900s. And they're erroneous in a lot of their teachings because they teach the thing that the, the original Jews taught about the poverty as opposed to the wealth and those things. But part of what they taught was in the Old Testament, as the Jews would put the blood over the doorpost and the mantle, when the angel of death would come over, it would spare them from death, right? Right? Okay. So the purpose of the blood was what? Spare them from death. You know, well, now here's, here's the take on it. It was a covering over, so, so let's add, it doesn't say this, but it was a covering that went over the doorpost, and now the blood of Jesus is now for a covering. Well, what's it a covering over? You just said it. Death. It kept them from dying. So today in the New Testament church, what is the purpose of the blood of Jesus? You can say it again. Back up. Back up. What did we just say the purpose of the blood in the Old Testament was? It was a covering from death. You're spiritually dead, and when the blood is applied into your life, you're spiritually alive. So the blood application is to keep you from death. Wages of sin is death. So understand this. The purpose of the blood is to cover our sins that causes our death. So why am I pleading the blood of Jesus as my kids go off to school? Because if I'm baptized in the name of the Lord, if I've received His Spirit, if I've repented, all those things, why would I ask God to do something He's already done? But again, I'm, I'm just using a... But I want you to go home and research this because there are a lot of things that we say in script that we think are scriptural that are completely not only... not in the Scripture, they're, they're even... they're. Their fundamental thinking is out of context, out of context. So I know some of you are a little bit upset with me because you've done this all your life. But listen, what we said in the early, understand something. We can discover where things that were maybe not as, you know, maybe I took that the wrong way or maybe that just wasn't correct. And it's okay to understand that and then to say, okay, now I can get past that because I don't have to plead any blood of Jesus in my life at all. 
I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian. It's already there. It's already there. Now, is it wrong to pray for God to protect? No, because in the Old Testament, that happened. So God protect, and I understand the premise of pleading the blood is, God, I want you to protect my children. I understand that premise. But I can make several scriptural statements about premise that don't, they don't, the premise is good. You want to protect your children. But why don't you just go straight to the source about God's protection? And it's not the blood. The blood is God's redemption. One of the thing, one of the reasons you have spirit in your life is for protection. One of the reasons that you have uh, faithfulness in your life is protection. The several. When I see the blood, is an old old song in the in, in the apostolic church, and there's a lot of songs we sang that had no biblical basis. Right. And the pleading of the blood came out of that song. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And and there's a lot of things that, you know, again, as I said, songs were written that supposedly, you know, mm-hmm. uh, were in, in accord with Scripture that were not. In, in their context, in their context, they were, uh, you know, hey, listen, this is, but if you put them in the context of Scripture, they're totally out of bounds. They're totally out of bounds. And I'm going to throw one more at you, and we're not going to talk about this, but there's two I want you to go home and look at. I want you to go look at Plead the Blood, and I want you to look at Praying Somebody Through to the Holy Ghost. I want you to look at those two. Let's just take a look at them. Boy, I'm getting some daggers now. Because <laughs> some things in premise don't have biblical foundation. And so it's good that we want to do some things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But understand, that's not the verbiage that we're after. I've noticed through the years and more recently as I become a little more aware of things is that many times our prayers are like God is out there somewhere and we're down here separate from him when he said he would be in us. And I'm not saying pray to ourself. Well, where is Christ? Is he out there somewhere? He's Are in we us. praying for him to come down and bless our service? Right. He was already here when we got here. Yeah. But we're going to pray the glory down? What we have to do is stir up the gift that's within us. Yeah. And there's lots of stuff in that. I think a lot of times we, we, we are so uh, physical in our thinking that we need up or down, back or front, in order to understand something, but we can't let it become our uh, doctrine. Just understand, that it's not, we're not saying these things are wrong. What we're saying is understand that they can't be your doctrine because you have no biblical foundation for it. And you don't want to be talking to somebody uh, that's outside the church. Like, I don't want to be talking to some of my Baptist friends and say, man, we prayed three people through to the Holy Ghost last week. Really? Well, show me in the Bible where you do that. I'm shot. Now now my witness is shot because I'm, I'm talking about stuff. So anyway, I want you to look at that because uh, I'm going to give you a test next week. Let's take a little time for worship. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org.
We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.